Welcome to The Exam Room. I'm your host, Brian Vardabedian. I had the chance to sit down with Dr. Melinda Ashton, Executive VP and Chief Quality Officer for Hawaii Pacific Health. We had the chance to catch up on her most recent New England Journal of Medicine Perspective article, Getting Rid of Stupid Stuff. And yes, you heard that correctly. This fascinating piece details the efforts that she and her system have taken to slash the burden of unnecessary administrative tasks. We have the chance to discuss how this gets started, where it's all headed, and why the electronic health record is not responsible for all of medicine's problems. I hope you enjoy it. For most consumers, the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. And they really want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. With Loyal's Empower Solution, you have the tools to do just that. Empower your patients, the patient, and provide a solution. Maximizing star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients really are saying about their experience. You could sort, approve, and publish patient reviews of physicians, services, and even practices using some of the intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. To learn more, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. Dr. Ashton, welcome to the exam room. So in November 2018 in the New England Journal of Medicine, you published Getting Rid of Stupid Stuff. Tell us what this uh, stupid stuff is and how did you get rid of it? <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking. Um, stupid stuff to us, uh, what we were interested in was finding things in the um, EHR, um, in documentation requirements, or, or just things that we'd set up in our electronic health record that seemed um, stupid to mm -hmm. us or to the end user particularly. And uh, what we wanted to do was get all of our frontline clinicians to identify things that really just sort of made them shake their head and wonder saying, why do I bother? <laughs> you know, right. that's what we were looking for. And um, asking them to send in nominations so that we could then work on um, eliminating, improving, making more elegant or explaining, you know, the documentation requirements. You know, what's most remarkable uh, to me or what caught my eye was the idea um, that this this kind of defies the sense of learned helplessness that I kind of see in physicians these days. You know, we, I know as a as a practicing doc, I sometimes feel like I have absolutely no control over this stuff that I have to do. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. And so it's it's like really caught my eye because it made me made me feel like I I somehow could do this too, right? Oh, yes. And we'd love to have every single one of our clinicians, you know, kind of um, tell us what is the one thing or the what are the three things or, you know, if you've got a list, tell us a list. But what are those things that you just think are beyond, um, beyond dumb? So, so how did you start this? I understand there was a nomination process. Maybe you could just explain how that worked and how did you determine what was really, really stupid, you know? Yeah, the nomination process kind of came a little bit into it. But basically, um, you know, for years I had seen, had experiences with our EHR um, overseeing documentation or, or various things. And I, I knew that, you know, as frontline clinicians, it wasn't that hard to just click on something and move on. Um, we were mm -hmm. working on sepsis improvement, for example, and we knew that uh, an initial question of, are you, are you worried about a systemic infection to our triage nurses was commonly being answered no. And then the next thing they would do is describe, you know, fever and cough and, you know, possible pneumonia. And so we knew that, you know, the 
it was pretty easy to click on things um, and not always accurately. Um, years and years ago, I remember a resident physician and I were talking about a case that had um, where there had been a, a really significant medication alert that had presented um, in the flow of work and the resident had clicked on it, never seen it and moved on. And, and so I had this sort of as the background in my mind. And um, and then I had an experience. One of the nurses that works with me um, runs our evidence-based practice program. And uh, what that is, is a, it's a nursing approach to look for, you know, the evidence base behind all the various practices mm-hmm. that they, they do. And um, she had a team that was interested in the evidence base for hourly rounding. And as part of their work, they went out and interviewed med surge nurses, frontline nurses about hourly rounding. And they talked about the fact that we had set up a documentation system so nurses could tell us when they had been in doing their hourly rounding. One of the selections that nurses were given to say, I was there and this is what I did, was something called AIDIT. And, you know, AIDIT had also been introduced to our nurses about the same time as hourly rounding. And it's a communication technique. It reminds you what to talk about. But it's not a something you do with patients. It's a communication technique. And these, mm-hmm. these nurses um, who were interested in studying this had actually asked those nurses that were clicking on that, well, what is AIDIT? What did you do? And none of them could answer. And so mm-hmm. they, were, they were simply clicking to make it go away. And then, you know, when I heard about that, I thought, well, wait, we, we never really intended for our nurses to have to click an I was here button, you know, which is essentially all that was. And so we began to say, well, why are we doing this? And thinking about how it evolved and how it got there. And it's pretty clear, you know, it it hadn't ever intended to be that way, but it made somebody's life easier. So we created the documentation standard for people to do that. And when we actually evaluated how much time it took, if we looked at all of our nurses across our system, we have four hospitals, um, 1,700 nursing hours per month. Um, could be swallowed up by that simple single mm. hourly rounding click, and that's incredible. Yeah, I I, I rechecked and double checked the math because I couldn't believe it. Um, and that was it with an estimated twenty four seconds per you know encounter, and and that that estimate came from a couple of expert nurses, so I suspect it might even be more. Anyway, so so that was the impetus for going to the leadership team and sort of saying we got to do something about this. So here's the here's the question everyone's going to ask is okay so how how did you come up with this name I mean it's super irreverent and <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously I think I I had heard through the grapevine there was a little bit of blowback initially is that right Yeah when I went to the executive team I actually sit on the executive team so that you know we all know each other really well and um, I went to them and you know I described what I just described here about rounding and and I said you know this is really stupid we should just stop doing this. And everybody agreed with the sentiment, um, mm-hmm. but it took a little convincing not to call it administrative simplification or some other more politically correct kind of mm-hmm. term. And and I we actually did call it that in in the goal that we wrote. But then I was you know I sort of said, well, I'm going to call it stupid. And and so um, as we went out and described it to people across the system, we actually called it stupid stuff. And one of the people, one of the physicians that works with me helped come up with the getting rid of part. So that then becomes gross. So that's mm-hmm. the shorthand version of this. Well, you can see how it, it would resonate with sort of end users, right? I mean, we all deal yeah. with this stuff and it's really yeah. stupid. And so it makes yeah. perfect sense that this would carry yeah. with a name like that, right? Well, and, and I think it was important that we called it that actually, because otherwise it would just be another kind of a disconnected um, idea. 
and, and mm-hmm. calling it stupid and asking, really asking people to say, what do you think is stupid seems to have resonated really well. What was interesting to me that I picked up on was this concept that when identifying stupid things, you have discovered that it's sometimes best to identify stupid by asking the end user, not the person sending it, right? Yeah, it's really hard to recognize it when you set it up. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we said right early on, and I I put in the article was, you know, what we now consider stupid was at one point a good idea, you know? (laughs) And so you don't know it's stupid until it sort of had some time to mature and be out there and be dealt with, I think, sometimes. So just a historical question, how do these, you know, I kind of call these rabbit holes, these sequences of clicking that we have to go through that kind of go nowhere. And how do these start? I guess, are these old policies or are they part of our our software or administrators make them up or where do these come from, you think? Well, I think what we found is that they come from all over. They come from lots of different sources. Um, this rounding row was simply probably, well, actually we know it was a group of managers who you know, got overburdened and had lots of things on their plate. And they were asked to make sure that nurses were doing hourly rounding. And instead of doing rounding themselves to find out that it was happening, they decided it would be easy enough to just create a report if we got the nurses to document that. And so that's where that one started. Um, We've got a number of others, though, that, you know, um, they really all were well-intentioned. We've had a few that were simply, you know, we didn't restrict the age range that we should have or some other kind of mistake in setup of a very complex EHR. So have you taken this a little further to removing unnecessary work in other places beyond just these little sequences in the EHR? Yeah. Um, our CEO actually, um, you know, after after this sort of started out and, and people were interested in participating and were sending us information. And I was telling him some of the stories that I was hearing. Um, He actually had an experience himself of something that had been perpetuated for years that he didn't realize was still going on with his, um, his executive assistant was every day doing an updated report. And he hadn't looked at it in years and years. And suddenly he was looking over his her shoulder one day and realized that she had been doing this daily work that was of no longer of any value to him whatsoever. And he's used that as an experience to share with all of the other leaders mm-hmm. in our organization um, that, hey, be on the lookout. There's a lot of this stuff. Right. Look for those built-in inefficiencies and yeah. old yeah. algorithms that were things that we do. That Yeah. I mean, they were useful at one point maybe, but not Right. Now. So I want to talk a little bit about burnout because I think what, you're, what you've touched on here is, you know, what the – uh, burnout theorists identify as one of the, the, the key causes. I mean, do you think that, uh, or, or what do you see as the key critical triggers to burnout? And is this one of them or is it really overstated? Well, I was, you know, I did a little review, um, limited review of the literature. And one of the things that really caught my eye was this idea of why do I bother? Mm-hmm. This, as you were mentioning, learned helplessness kind of thinking that I don't have any control over this. I I'm just going to have to shake my head and go through it. But I think that feeling of not having purpose, not having, you know, mastery over something um, is is one of the important factors, I believe. So that's really, to me, what we were addressing here. And in addition, I think the engagement piece of, you know, um, welcoming suggestions and then working on suggestions and getting back from, from folks, hey, thank you so much, you know, that kind of a reaction was really helpful. 
Well, it's that feeling of empowerment, right? I mean, yeah. physicians are increasingly employees, and we just yeah. were we're seeing this industrialization of medicine taking place in all these big systems. And so, when you give some, when you can empower someone to actually make a change, um, uh, it's it's uh, really stimulating. So, one of the things that I picked up on uh, in one of your other audio interviews was uh, that. Among healthcare providers, when, when you were listening input or nominations, I guess the nurses were a little bit more vocal about nominations than doctors, correct? Yes. Um, and I was a bit surprised by that because I think we all think, when we're thinking of burnout, we think of physicians first, right? We do know that other clinicians are also suffering burnout at high rates as well. Yes. But it was interesting to me that at least the initial approach that we took um, it was the nurses that responded the best. And I think that it may have more to do with how we've set up documentation for clinicians, mm -hmm. you know, for, for nurses or others versus physicians. So I think because physicians documentation is largely note based and we all kind of get our templates and then sort of use them forevermore, I, I don't think mm -hmm. we necessarily recognize the same issue. And so mm -hmm. um, I've been thinking about it quite a bit and, we actually have um, tried a, a, an additional approach with physicians. It's not an only approach. They're still welcome to, you know, nominate anything. But what we've started to do is ask physicians, what do they find stupid as a recipient? So, and what happened to kind of get me thinking about this was I, I'm a pediatrician. I still work um, clinically. And so I was in my office seeing patients and I was handed a 10-page fax. And it was a note from a consultant who was seeing one of my patients. And that consultant and I are both on the same EHR. I could have seen everything and, in fact, did see everything in the EHR, in my in-basket. I did not need a fax. I did not want a fax. Ten pages of repeated CBCs that I'd already seen. Um, and buried on page eight, the only thing that really mattered at all to me was an RTCPRN. He was ending his relationship with this patient. I needed to know that, but it was buried and, and it was in effects and I didn't, I just looked at it. It really was one of these, why do I bother kinds of moments? Right. And so I used that to kind of um, start to think about how to elicit that kind of reaction from our physicians. Why do I bother? Why do I, and I get so many of these, all oh, your notes are not my notes particularly, but notes are horrible. I can't make head or tail of an H&P or a discharge summary because there's so much junk there that doesn't need to be there, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of thing. Hey, everybody, this is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. Just, you, you mentioned something I just picked up on. Uh, you are a Executive Vice President and Chief Quality Officer at Hawaii Pacific Health. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. And you, I guess you still see patients a certain percentage of the time. And um, this is one thing I've noticed. I work with some startups and, and, and such. And when you have these physician leaders who don't spend time in the clinics, even a small amount, 
they become obsolete really quickly. And just that example kind of is a nice illustration of how when you say things on the on the front lines, it really changes the way you lead. Is that right? I think so. I, I you know, I, I've had a small pediatric practice now for a number of years, and, and I'm fortunate that I have partners that are very helpful with that. So, you know, I'm kind of almost a consultant pediatrician in a way to my own patients, but um, it still has value. Um, it still means that I have to use the EHR. I have to go through the hassle that they have to go through. And, and I do think, you know, it gives me a chance to have some of the same opportunities it, prop, in no way as big or heavy or, or ugly as some of our clinicians deal with, but some opportunity to help kind of connect, you know? Right. So I spend a fair amount of time on Twitter with a lot of doctors and I monitor the, monitor the sentiment that is uh, out there. And if you have any kind of discussion about the changes that are happening in medicine or the precipitants to burnout, the obvious thing that you'll hear is the EHR. Mm-hmm. And I was so thrilled to hear you say um, or, or read that um, it's probably not the EHR. And I've always suggested that if you take the best user experience experts from Amazon, Google, and Apple and created the perfect EHR, doctors would still be unhappy because this is really, it's a process problem, right? Not as much a design problem. And we're required to do so much. Right. right. And, and I think, you know, that, um, that thinking was reflected. I think there was an article looking at EHR experience in Australia and other, other countries. And really a lot of what we blame the EHR for is really our, our failed healthcare system, you know, the payment system and, and right. documentation requirements and all of that other stuff. Um, and so it's, it's not really just the EHR by any means. We could have a far more streamlined EHR if we didn't all feel like we had to do a pulse oxy check and document it for every stub toe that came in, you know? Let's talk a little bit about how doctors write notes. You mentioned, uh, earlier a little bit about the Frankenstein note. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this just drives me crazy. Of course, I was raised, uh, on paper, of course. And, um, I think our notes were probably a lot cleaner, uh, at, at the time and, um, I think a lot of these Frankenstein notes that we see, they thrill the coder, but I can't tell really what's going on. Even from a consultant, there's no real impression. Agreed. Um, is this an approachable problem with, with, with what you've done or is Medicare going to fix that or what's your, what's your angle on well, that? Is there hope for me? <laughs> Medicare says they're fixing it, right? CMS says that they're, they're right. going to simplify things. So we're actually um, going to undertake a, a project. I don't know how it's going to go, but a project to try to look at what the real requirements are for, for billing. Um, so the documentation mm-hmm. requirements that have to you know meet certain billing requirements and then see what we can do to go out and, and deal, talk with our physicians about what I think are a lot of urban legends about required documentation. I think, I think oh, there's an awful lot there that people think is required that isn't. Um, and so not only do we have requirements that are problematic, but we also have all of these um, built up kind of angst over if I don't do it this way, I won't get paid. And, and I think we need to clarify that too. Yeah, there's that urban legend idea is absolutely correct, and they get passed around from doctor to doctor and trainees and whatnot. So obviously, you have a front seat in the C-suite, and you were able to implement the kind of change that you described in the New England Journal of Medicine. What would you recommend to ground-level physicians or health professionals who read this and want to take this kind of initiative in a system that maybe hasn't read that article or isn't ready for it. Yeah, I think that's always, you know, I, I, it, that's always difficult because every 
uh, at least my belief is that you know healthcare is very local. Every system is probably a bit different. Um, and the way to leverage change in one is probably not going to work in another. But I, I think the important piece there is um, to speak up, to, to identify something, to come up with an example. Um, you know, if you can come up with something that others can just sort of shake their head and say, you got to be kidding me, we're really doing that? <laughs> I, I think that um, nobody wants us as clinicians to be spinning our wheels and wasting our time. And so anything we can do to kind of, instead of feeling hopeless about it, um, actually identify something and saying, I'd really like to identify this to fix. And, and so, you know, starting small, starting with something, starting with a real example, um, and, and then talking to whoever seems to be the right person in your system about, could we try this too? Change is so hard in these systems. You know, you get the the argument and compliance and legal. And sometimes I think they're not even thought through. It's an easier answer to say that, but. Um, no, I, I agree. And I, and I do think that it's, you know, it's going to be very different in, in, you know, every single one of the systems that we all work in. But, but I do think that there's a fair amount of, you know, if you can come up with something concrete, um, I think that helps, you know, find something to start with. So in, in the bigger picture, what's next for stamping out stupid stuff? Are you going to take this at a, to a higher level with different, uh, bigger things or is there a plan coming? Yeah, it's, it's not done yet. Um, when I wrote the article for the new England journal, we had about 240, I think suggestions, uh, nominations. We're now well over 300. So they're still coming in. Um, but in addition to that, it's led us to do, um, a number of other kind of big projects. So one of the things that was identified, um, because a lot of the nominations came from nursing, we found a lot of uh, variation among our nurses in how often they had to document something or what they were documenting or how they were documenting, what their manager wanted them to do, that kind of thing. And so we've actually now created a system-wide um, kind of series of, of uh, projects to try to um, change the way nurses do handoff at the end of their shift. Mm -hmm. um, and also the next thing we're going to, it's in a standard way so that we can actually you know, expect what a handoff will be like and, and provide the handoff that's expected and so forth. That actually saves time as well. Um, and then we're going to be looking at um, the standard kind of end of shift note that our nurses have to do, because again, we've got a lot of variation there. And, and most of the physicians would say they're completely worthless. And so we'd like to create a worthwhile note rather than a worthless note. Uh, we want to reduce the, the multiple times that people document in, in many places through a chart. So document once and use it multiple times if you need to. On the physician side, we've had a, a physician op optimization team now for a number of years, and, and they do um, go around and help docs learn how to you know navigate the system. A, a number of the um, nominations we got from physicians really just reflected a lack of knowledge about the tools that they had. Right. Um, and so we're working on that. And then um, in addition, we have for, again, 18 months or two years, been working on kind of best practice uh, documentation. But I think the most useful thing there for our docs is going to be, first of all, asking people to tell us what do you receive that doesn't make sense to you that seems stupid, but also this this idea of now with CMS coming out with um, what sound like maybe simplified documentation standards going out and actually trying to help people understand what the requirements are. So how do you measure 
you know, obviously you added up the number of seconds over the course of years that these clicks take, but on that really one, yes, that we can. I mean, don't you need to make graphs and things like this? And I mean, I mean seriously, <laughs> how how do you measure? You know, I mean, yeah. tough in some of these situations, right? They're intangibles. Yes. Um, we do an annual employee engagement survey as well. Um, we've done some burnout surveys of physicians, so those will continue, and we're hoping to see a difference there. Um, I think, in general, um, the good thing about my system is that um, we don't have to show a bottom-line improvement if it seems like the general feeling is that this is a good thing and we should keep it going. Right. Well, this is wonderful. It's a remarkable how Hawaii Pacific Health has taken such an intentional role to solving some of the simplest problems. In closing, Dr. Ashton, you've really made a, a splash by showcasing that health professionals can identify inefficiencies and move to change things. And um, all of us should feel empowered with this example of leadership. And I can't wait to see what's next from Hawaii Pacific Health. Well, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to share the story. I, we have really had fun with it, actually. Perhaps I'll have you back and we can uh, get a catch up in a couple of years. Sure. Thank you. You're welcome. This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals, healthcare organizations, to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. Thank you for joining us in the exam room. If you like what you heard here, please rate the program, review us, or let folks know about us. And if you have any really cool ideas that you'd like discussed here, please feel free to let us know. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.